0: Welcome to the Venezuelan Diaspora Project, where you will find Venezuelan entrepreneurs and changemakers that we searched and interviewed to present to you. My name is Jesus Bolivar, also known as Chueto. So let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to a new edition of the Venezuelan Diaspora. Uh, Thank you for joining us today when we have the honor to have Manuel Iribarren, Senior in Product Design at Stanford University, and Founder and CEO of Education education Design Company. uh, And he's also ex-head of product at January.ai. I'm sure he's going to tell us a lot more about it, and he's going to do justice to those two things that I said. Thank you so much for uh, being here with us, Manu. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, awesome. So uh, let's get right to it. Uh, as you know, in previous uh, editions of this, we're going to divide the interview in three sections. We're going to talk about Manu's entrepreneurial journey, um, his journey before starting his uh, uh, venture, uh, and being Venezuelan and some advice for entrepreneurs. So Manu, tell us, tell us about yourself and about your, how you started this last uh, company that you're working on.
1: Yeah, so, so I mean, I'm obviously Venezuelan. Uh, I left when I was three, You know, I'll probably go into some of that stuff a, a, a bit later, but I, I left when I was three, Venezuelan mom and dad. I've always considered myself very Venezuelan. Um, I, I started my first company in high school. I went to a boarding school in London, so that that was my first real gig. I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I think I had a very frustrated um, education. In, in the UK, it's very traditional, and I just never really fit the mold, so I was very badly behaved didn't really do kind of my homeworks and stuff like that. Um, you know, it is what it is. So I started my first company junior year. Uh, that, you know, did pretty well. It was, it was in the education space. It was like an education concierge. Um, and then I realized, you know, that it just, I didn't see the scale necessarily. And, and I felt like I, I could do other things with my time. So when I got into Stanford, I shut it down and, and, and moved to the Bay Area. So then the Bay Area, you know, that's where I discovered consumer tech startups for the first time. I didn't, again, I you know, regrettably, I didn't know about that space so much when I was younger. So, so when I got to the Bay Area, I worked for somebody in the D school, um, a, a very close friend and, and mentor of mine. And that really sort of showed me what I was missing out on. So I've been training and, and practicing my skills since then. Um, started my immersion. It's, it's a design thinking education company. So we, we teach... Children all over the world, and we partner with schools and and design curriculums for them um and again that that comes from my place of frustration with my high school that I wasn't taught the things that I wish I'd been taught, so I set up that that company it's it's great i it's something I'm very very passionate about and then um on the side i, I I'm working on kind of a a separate thing so so that's nice. yeah that that's a bit about it.
0: That's awesome. So let's unpack some of the, uh, the nuggets of information you gave us. So you said the D school. So for those who don't know what D stands for, can yep. you tell us more about, uh, you know, that and your experience, uh, as you've been exposed to the D.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So D school is the, the design school the Heiso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. Um, it, it's basically, it was founded by David Kelly. who is the founder of IDEO as well, which is a famous design consulting firm. And basically, it's like a design thinking major. It's, so it, it's product design at Stanford, you, you take a lot of d school classes, and there's also a master's program. But basically, it's this place he set up that anybody can take a class from the d school, whether they're an undergrad, a master's student, a PhD, and you go and learn about human centered design and, and how you fulfill uh, user needs and, and how you really build humane products and and that's really what drew me to the d school so so that's yeah
0: nice so different entrepreneurs have different ways to sort of start their journey right and it seems there's folks who are very analytical and like rational there's folks who are very like intuitive about the opportunities they find sometimes it's just about connecting the dots so tell us about why education and why design like how did you stumble upon this need that you're trying to address
1: yeah that's that's a a great observation i mean that's exactly right i think everybody's really different and that's something i i've really come to appreciate at stanford i think before you know you get the perception that there's one way to do things or you need x skills to be successful and i'm realizing that's not true at all you know some people a deeply analytical analytical background i tried to go that route i you know i did a lot of computer science uh, my first year at stanford realized that that just wasn't for me um and and my first d school class was just like a i mean it was like an awakening i don't you know it was i i felt like so much that i intuitively knew about the world clicked and intuitively knew about products. I, I was a, always a very big Apple fan. And it wasn't necessarily because the products are the best. But it was a lot of the way that Steve Jobs spoke about products and a lot of the way that Apple communicated with customers. Like I would look at, you know, Microsoft or Samsung advert, and it was all about features and, you know, whatever dual screen and, and all this stuff. And I just knew in my heart of hearts that that, that wasn't what resonated with, with people. So when I really understood and got to the d school and was told that, yeah, you know, this is something called human centered design, that's really about connecting with what the user really needs. I just I realized that I think that's where my my edge was, and and I think we all we all have our edge, and and I think I was lucky enough to find it at the D school, and and so why education? The sec the, the first part of the question is really because I think education is is, is everything. I mean, it's very cliche, but it really is. I, I think I have a lot of frustrations with with today's education system, and we can go into that. I'm not in this answer, but happy to happy to dive very deep into that. But I just felt like it at High school, if I, there are a lot of things I wish I had known and just given where I was, I I just wasn't exposed to it and and maybe I didn't search hard enough. So I really started Immersion to try to bridge that gap for younger entrepreneurs who feel like they have that entrepreneurial energy but don't know what to do with it.
0: Yeah, so it seems that you set out to solve a problem that you faced, right? And that you think a lot of other folks faced, right? Yeah. And, and did you, obviously you already started on this journey, but did you ever like look at, you know, how many people out there had this issue? Like, how did you, how did you say I'm going to do this and just went all in for it?
1: Yeah, it was, it was actually a a funny story. So, so uh, to zoom out a little bit immersion is, is the the education thing is not what takes up most of my time. So I don't think about it so much as a conventional business. You know, I'm not trying to necessarily scale it massively or or I'm not even that profit focused on immersion I do a lot of nonprofit work so so to tell you that that therefore I didn't necessarily do that much market research but I the the way it happened was it was the summer I was living with some friends in the bay area and and my girlfriend actually told me look she's from Moscow and she was like why don't you teach a class in Moscow on what you learned from Stanford and and at the time you know I was trying to put some money together to to start angel investing and um we did it and, and actually I called emailed I think it was like like 80 schools and um a lot of them responded that this was something that they wanted and so i I just pretty quickly realized like, whoa, this is a trend in the way that education is going. And I think it's going to become more and more important. And I have, you know, this unfair advantage of being at the D school and really immersing myself in this stuff. And that's why I, you know, that's why I set it up basically.
0: That's great. So you, you did see it as signal, right? At least that first spark, yeah. right? When you saw there's something yeah. here, that's great. And so once you've started that journey, What's something that you found that have been um, either unexpected or hard or harder than you thought that you wish you had sort of seen, if anything, so far? (laughs) Uh,
1: So, so with immersion in particular, I think, you know, immersion is not the most complex of, of execution, at least in its present form. It hasn't been, thankfully, that difficult. To do, um, and I think that's the main thing that I would talk to in other startup experiences. But with immersion in particular, things take a lot longer than it, than you think. Always, hmm. even if you factor, there's a law I forget what it's called, but even if you factor in that it's going to take longer than you think, it's going to take longer. It than takes that. longer than you think. So, right. so I, you know, that was a. I, I'm someone who pushes very hard and tries to push myself and and people around me very hard. And I think at some point I realized, well, there's only so hard. I'm going as quickly as I can, it just takes longer than I thought and and trying to develop that patience, but balancing it with that kind of aggressive, um, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to push this forward mentality was a was a learning curve.
0: Right, right. Things just take longer, period, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, period. that's great. That's a great one. All right. And with regards to immersion, how do you see it playing out in the next five, 10 years? This is a very cliche question, but the one that I, I have to ask you, <laughs> like, how do you see things playing out?
1: That's a good question. Uh, that's a, I, I've, you know, I've thought about it a great deal because immersion is is you know what ten to fifteen percent of my time, roughly. Mm. So so I'm trying to think about what are the ways in which I can. I, it goes one of two ways, right? I either well, one of three ways. I either build it into a business that just maintains my lifestyle and and is kind of self sustaining. So I don't necessarily expand it that much. I'm happy with the schools we work with. I'm really happy that we don't have a hard time getting kids and then, um, getting students. So that's, that's path number one, path number two is potentially we pivot into a more scalable business. So, so there's an ed tech play there. Um, you know, and I think we, we certainly have seen like product market fit in terms of people really rave about our classes. And and then the third thing is actually going fully nonprofit, which, which is where I would like it to go. That's where I, where I see it. I, you know, code.org is one of my favorite, um, institutions. They just teach coding. And, and so that's, I would want to do like design.org, you know, or, or. Nice. Yeah. Something like that.
0: And I think you bring up something that's, that's quite valuable for those who are listening, right. That you don't, to be, you can be an entrepreneur and not necessarily go down the like for-profit path, right. That you can be hundred percent, right. You can set up a not-for-profit and still, you know, have a thriving, successful org. Um, so I think that's great that you bring it up. Awesome. So let's talk about uh, let's see your time before you started this, and I think you alluded to some like nuggets uh, here and there. Like, tell us about your your upbringing and and things that are important to you before you started being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Anything that comes, yeah yeah uh, tell us that, about how a, you how you how you ended up in london and your journey to get to stanford yeah. and things that you think are important as the, they've uh yeah uh influenced your journey
1: yeah i mean i've, I've been uh, you know with, with obviously with quarantine everybody's thinking a lot <laughs> about stuff so this is one of the things that i've thought a lot about because when i have kids i, I i've always thought about you know not not anytime soon but how do you <laughs> how do you feed that spark if they have it how do you how do you Yeah, so I I've been reflecting how did I get that spark? How how did my parents feed it? And I think, you know, I don't know is the answer. I I actually think Venezuelans naturally are quite hustlers. Like Venezuelans are always hustling on something and and I think that's why we, we do quite well when we move away. And unfortunately that's also why I think our country is the way that it is. So I think that's that's a lot of it, right? Just what I see my my family, friends, my cousins, my, you know, everybody's always thinking about trying to generate value. And I think that's something I grew up around. I also credit a lot of it to to both my mom and my dad in in different ways. Yeah, my my dad, I've had a very sort of diverse, interesting childhood. I mean, we moved from Caracas to Tbilisi, Georgia. From Tbilisi, Georgia, we, me and my mom went to London for a year and my dad stayed in Georgia because it was really dangerous. So then from Georgia, we went to El Salvador, then back to London. While I was in London, they had to move to Colombia. So I, that's why I went to boarding school. Then they moved to DC. You know, I'm, I'm sort of in this weird, where, am I, where do I live? Is it London? Is it Bay Area? Is it DC with my parents? And so, you know, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, and I think having to constantly just move so much and meet new people all the time. I've probably been to eight, nine different schools. And seeing my dad, who's someone who just is so comfortable with ambiguity, like so comfortable with just trying stuff, moving, reinventing himself constantly, always, you know, to, to varying degrees of success, but always just going for it, I think was, was really inspiring. And and having a mom who was always very supportive of that and, and actually always very supportive of me, always encouraged me and told me that I was capable of, of whatever I want. You know, one of my favorite quotes is that I think it's, uh, you know, some people think they can do it. Some people don't, and both are right. Right, and I think that's something I always encourage people: is like whatever you think you're capable of, that's what you're capable of, right? And, and I think I, I was lucky enough to have a, a parent who really told me to just keep trying to go for for the best and and for the most that I could do rather than rather than settling.
0: That's great. So adaptability and and confidence, I think, are the two themes yeah. that I heard. And something that I I think it's quite relevant from your story, Manu, is that uh, you've you've grown. You grew up moving from from place to place, right? So you've Mm. been exposed to sort of different environments. How do you think that's like shaped you into, or has uh, influenced you in your way of thinking as you think about your venture and and problems you face?
1: Think a few different ways. I think number one is I have a very global mindset. You know, it, it's it's actually kind of shocking to me when I came to the U.S. I realized how U.S. centric it really is, mm-hmm. and and I felt like a lot of people, yeah, I mean, just have a very U.S. centric mindset. Where, whereas I've always wanted to build a global business. That's always been my my. Mm-hmm number one goal and so i think that's just naturally because i've seen so many different cultures i have very international friends so i have kind of a very broad you know base of of friends or a broad you know network Mm. i I don't love that word but that that i think has been very very useful the other thing is that i've been the outsider a lot right i was the only latino really the only spanish speaker at my high school Um, for for the three of the last five years. And, you know, I, so my, a lot of my friends were, were internationals, also not English, but, but not Spanish. So that just made me very comfortable with being different. And, and, and I never realized it until I came to America, but actually people do have a lot of bias and, and, and you, I've started to notice it more and more, you know, my name's Manuel. And so a lot of the time I get people surprised at how good my English is, or, you know, when I'm, I would always get really good grades at school, but I but I never really got recognized as a good student um, until mm-hmm. I got to Stanford, and and so I remember this frustration that just kept pushing me. And I've always had a really big chip on my shoulder about just you know I'm I, like tired of being the outsider, but also I feed off it. So so I think right. it was it was a bit of that, and that's why I was really badly behaved in school. <laughs> I was I would never do assignments. Well, but I, I would badly. just prepare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I was pretty. <laughs> I was, <laughs> trust me <laughs> but um yeah so that's that's the that's the yeah that that's it i think
0: that's awesome that's great to hear so um And I think it's a theme, right? When you're an immigrant, especially someone like you who's been an immigrant in so many places, it is sort of a trade-off, right? You you sort of face this extra challenge, but fighting it off also sort of makes you stronger sort of thing. So since you moved to, to that naturally or organically, let's talk about your experience being a Venezuelan. And one of the things that I'd like to ask in this section is, you know, tell us about what you remember from Venezuela, your experience when you were there things that you that you cherish and i think you must have been there in the 90s yeah early late 90s, 90s or late nineties, what,
1: what's
0: what's some memories that you have or things that
1: you cherish from that time so i left i was very very young i was three or mm. four or five one or the other oh, but, wow. but we we would go back a lot i mean mm. obviously not the last few years but i've been back at least twice a year kind of for most of my childhood, so I remember it very well, and we're very close with with all of our Venezuelan family friends and family. I Venezuelan people are just so charismatic. That's the 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 main thing, and and I think I've just learned to really value that. You know, if, if you come to a Venezuelan's house, they host you so warmly. You know, oh welcome! Do you want something to drink? Here, sit. Here's your. You know, here's everything. Toilets there. Coat, hang your coat there. And I think I've learned that warmth really matters and, and being somebody who invests in relationships around you and invests in the people around you and lets them know that, that you care and, and, and you know you're loyal is is actually very, very important. Just just for your happiness, for others' happiness and even even from a from a sort of, you know, business networking standpoint as well. And that that's been one of the main things I remember about Venezuela. Um and I'm trying to think there was another one. Yeah, maybe it'll come back to me.
0: What what are things and this is another question that I always ask is what are things that you hold about being Venezuelan and things that you have perhaps learned to not perhaps pick up?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I feel an immense amount of pride in being Venezuelan. I I don't, you know, one of the, one of the things about human nature is you never know what it's like for somebody else, right? So, I Mm -hmm. have no idea what other people feel about their, their origin or their nationality, but, but, I am so proud to be Venezuelan. I, I can't even explain how proud I am. And so that's really what I hold dear because I just think it's it's a beautiful country. It's a, it's a rich history. And it's it's a country that, yeah, people, you know, if you see a Venezuelan and you're in a random city somewhere in the world, you know immediately that they're Venezuelan. I just immediately. You don't even need to necessarily hear them speak. Just the, the way, I mean, the Venezuelan sense of humor as well is just, is, is hilarious. I, it's
0: a bit edgy. <laughs> it's a bit edgy, yeah, for sure. That's
1: for sure. But um, that's it. I mean, it's just this pride, pride in, in being from where we're from. In terms of what I don't hold dear, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff there too. I, I, so, so the food is my favorite. I obviously I love Venezuelan food, but it's pretty unhealthy. So I don't, I don't hold that <laughs> hold that I love dear. It. You, you got it. I think
0: that's the best getting out of that ans- that question that I've seen. It's like food. Oh, food is unhealthy. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I think I have to congratulate you for that uh, for that answer. That was awesome. <laughs> Let's see. You have alluded to this before, uh, but I wanted to like ask it point blank. What What are things that about uh, your experiences of Venezuela and on your your family that have helped you in your journey in your adventure journey? Mm. You said Venezuelans are hustlers. You said yeah, number one, number one, right? So is it? Do you? Yeah. So. Is there something else there about that? Uh, so so yeah.
1: I think one, it's, it's that it's the grit. It's like the mm-hmm. Venezuelan hustle grit, right? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this done. I'm going to email somebody a, a million times if I have to. I, I, I won't take no for an answer. That's, a, that's an important Venezuelan trait. And the other one, and I alluded to that with how warm Venezuelan people are, but it's about how much you invest in the people around you and how much you grow your 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 base of just your relationships right not just in number but in depth and i think yeah. that's been something that really has helped me because venezuelans tend to really invest in people around them and and that makes you you know the more people you know the more stuff you can get done right because you can you can ask for advice you can get put in touch with people and and so I think it's this willingness of Venezuelans to help each other. I've expanded to my non-Venezuelans, right? I love helping younger Stanford students. I love helping my friends. You know, I, I, when my friends help me also, that, that it's just, I, I really believe life isn't a zero-sum game. Uh, and that's something that, a that mentality that I, that I think I can, you know, thank Venezuela for really
0: awesome all right uh, as we get in the final stretch let's see let's second the last question predictions for the future three predictions for 2030 random any any predictions for what will happen uh, in the next 10 years or trends that you think will continue or trends that that will we that we will see things that you're betting on wow, that'll happen
1: okay some things I'm betting on uh, from the yeah that's a <laughs> tough question because there are a lot of a lot of things uh, I know <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna i am going to i'll go with one i'm working on something in the future of work so i'll go the first prediction Mm. in the future of work i think that people the amount of people who work full-time jobs even in the high-skilled area is going to dramatically decrease i think we're not going to see you know even the nine to fives or or the nine to tens you see at a mckinsey or or a goldman sachs happening again i i just think that's a thing of the of the past especially due to COVID. and and you know a lot of stuff. Uh, alongside that, I'm not going to use this as a prediction. Obviously, e-commerce is is going to continue. Um, one one more is I think the the traditional education model is pretty broken, especially with the with the digitalization of education and 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 the different business models that are happening in education. Talent is going to become more and more globalized. That's that's pretty obvious. But I think that the how profound that changes I think is lost on on a lot of people. You know, now you can learn anything and soon you won't even have to pay to learn anything. That's, that's, you don't even really now, but, but you don't have to pay for high quality lessons. And I think that's going to lead to a, a host of different things, right? Like superstar teachers, right? I think we're going to get kind of a, a LeBron James of teaching X subject. And, and I, that's going to be a pretty interesting shift. Um, I think the final thing, actually, that this is a, a, an oddball, but first of all, I do think the world is going to be so different to what we can imagine in 10 years. I think we're, we're headed to, the, the rate of change has been exponential, but one of the things I've been most interested in is, is food, right? Mm-hmm. With, with kind of these impossible foods and, and Memphis meats and things like that. And it's happening all over the world. Imagine what's going to happen when the amount of livestock that we need is, is 70% less, right? What are we going to do when, when we, we rewild all of that land or expand cities? So I actually think, it's one of the most interesting innovations happening in the world, um, and, and and that's I think it's going to have a very profound effect on the way that we live. That's awesome! Thank you so much for that.
0: All right, Manu. All right, Manu. It's been a pleasure having you uh, pleasure. for this thirty minutes in the in this uh, series. Um, if you're a Venezuelan entrepreneur and would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us, Manu. We hope to see you in a few months or years and and see how things are going. Thank okay. you so much for your time. Thank you. you you have you have thirty seconds to say whatever you want.
1: Um, no. I mean just invest in everybody around you, especially if you're Venezuelan, you know. If if a Venezuelan never emails you or or you there's a way that you can help them, you know, invest in invest in each other. Awesome. All
0: right, thank you guys. See you in thank the next you. one.